Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about. time for Mortgage Matters. Hello, good morning, everybody. Oh, my goodness, the clock moved. Yeah, I did. I was <laughs> noticing that blank spot on the wall myself. I can, I can put it back if it makes you feel like, you know, there's a problem with the <clears> studio. I'm not good with change, Jim. It just felt like the handrail was gone on I've the been, stairs or something. I've been looking at the same spot on the wall for years now at the clock, and you, it's, you have, and it's uh, not there. You have our new uh, news guy, Dick Mason, to thank for that. Ah. Oh. Yeah. He can't. He needs glasses. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there should have been a memo or yeah. something. Prepare us for these kind of changes. Yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead and move it back over there. <laughs> well, it's January 30th, everyone. Yeah. Seems that we survived the first month of 2016. It's already the last show of January. Can you believe it? Amazing. Can you believe hardly, it? Hardly. I can hardly believe it. <laughs> it's quite amazing. These days and months just keep on ticking by. Yeah. <sighs> on my, uh, as my drive began this morning, I heard interesting new cash call loan commercial. Did you hear that one? <laughs> they no longer disclose rate. Yeah. Because it's too complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. Well, or because we're too stupid to understand. Well, I think you you had said it on the show. There's It was illegal what they were doing, so it finally caught up with them. You can have a loan where there are no f- where you're not paying fees. It's like a, a no-cost loan the way it's structured, but there are still charges that affect the APR whether you're paying them or whether there's a lender credit that's paying them, but they still have to be disclosed. And so the APR can never match the note rate. Well, it's in a few years possible. back, there there was some pretty good uh lawsuits sought after deceptive marketing practices of mortgage companies. If I said, this is a no-cost loan, and then you go, oh, well, but works for me because I hate paying for loans. Um, So you come in and you get that loan. What you missed was in my clever marketing is that you're actually, you're not having necessarily a closing cost but there's still a cost to the loan. Over the life of the loan, you're going to pay what might prove to be a ridiculous, like a predatory amount more interest because you didn't understand the options. So it's no longer that they could say that you're getting a no-cost loan. That was deceptive. So you have to say that you're getting a, a low-closing-cost loan or a no-closing-cost loan. And as you're well aware, the disclosures state that people now know that the closing costs are tied to your interest rate, that there are options available to you. That's why we have the anti-steering disclosure that goes over the different options. So today it's too complicated. The rates are so low that the lawyers said we can't even say them. (laughs) (laughs) I think they were probably tired of remaking commercials because they go up. Rates have been relatively volatile for the last couple of years, right? So every time they're like, if your rate's higher than 3%, you know, for a 15-year fix, call today. And it's like, all right, now you need one for 3.125. Now you need one for 3.25. So now they're just going to play some, you know, hopefully to ensnare a fool 
Um, the rate's so low, the lawyer said we can't talk about it. Well, and as you know, when whenever you're doing advertising, if you disclose a rate, you have to disclose an APR as well as how you arrived at that APR, the right. terms, the you know the assumed loan parameters that that got you that rate in APR. And so by not disclosing that rate, then they don't have to disclose an APR, which was completely inaccurate when they were doing it. So, yeah, I think they must have got their hand slapped somehow, and they've now corrected it. Monkey business. Yep. Well, and the funny thing, too, that, you know, it always brings me back to is what does all that advertising cost? And I think most consumers have figured out along the way that there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? And it's all, it's all built in there somewhere. You're going to pay for it somewhere. So interesting advertising tactics. Yeah, it works though. I've, I've seen the, Makes people call. I've seen the trust deed recording numbers in the County and cash call gets, they don't, I mean, it's not a lot, but they, their name's on the list. Yeah. They get a few. Well, good for them. By the way, you mentioned this a couple weeks ago. The the parent company of Cash Call, Cash Call is like a one of the underlings of Impact Mortgage Corp. Yeah, which happens to be one of the lenders that we're approved to do correspondent business with, and we don't end up giving them. I really want to say any. Have we done any loans there since we've been approved? Maybe one or two. I think in the beginning, the attraction, though, was that they had some niche programs for manufactured homes or something. Yeah, exactly. One of the th one of the things that they'll do is uh, they'll do manufactured home, and they're also not scared by large acreage properties yeah. as long as there are comparables to support it. So that's one of the tricky things about being in our area um, is acreage properties as well as manufactured homes. Those are two things that seem to have... They seem to be more common here than in other areas, especially metropolitan areas. And most banks aren't comfortable with that. They're not comfortable with acreage. They assume acreage is a farm property that has farm income or some kind of agricultural production. And they just shy away from that kind of stuff. Or, well, and it's a little and, bit harder to <clears throat> compare to other properties. Sure, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. And then the other thing is the manufactured homes. They, you know, in... in more urban areas you just don't see that as much and so a lot yeah. and there's a there's a perception about manufactured homes and there's stability as far as value and things like that so a lot of banks shy away from that but yeah impact that's one of the reasons why we were approved with them is was to make sure that we had that niche available one more arrow in the quiver i exactly. mean and, and ultimately i think that's what the majority of the lenders that we do work with um another one by the way quicken that's another <laughs> one of the the banks that we can do loans with. And it might be an interesting time to discuss a little bit about why would Quicken accept loans from a company like ours? It's a cheaper channel to originate. So it's a profitable channel just as their retail businesses. Yeah, so they got their boots on the ground out drumming up actual call 1-800-QUICKEN or whatever yeah, their phone number is. they talk about spending money on advertising. Yeah, I actually heard they're going to have an ad in the Super Bowl this year. Well, have you seen their their Rocket Mortgage? No. Ads? They have these ads on TV. That sounds highly where technical. Where it's just, it's a rocket taking off. And then they have words flashing up on the screen. And it really, like at the end of the commercial, it says nothing. Rocket Mortgage. Press the button. Get Mortgage. 
Like they still Whoa. have to go through all the same stuff we have to go through. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're they're trying to imply that it's faster if you go through them. Interesting. But that's it. That's all it really says is rocket mortgage. At risk of sounding terrible, the um, this is the 30-year anniversary of the Challenger. So everything I've been seeing about um, rocket stuff this week's been terrible. Now <laughs> you bring up the mortgage rocket thing, and I'm like, huh, that's maybe not the best week for that ad. I don't know. Can you guys believe, by the way, that it was 30 years ago the when the Challenger um, exploded? I can't believe it, actually. I remember um, when I was a kid. Yeah, they wheel. They had us like all in the auditorium and wheeled in the TV cart, and we all gathered around the TV cart to like watch. And then, of yeah, course, so we know what happened, up. and everybody was freaking out. Mm-hmm. It's and kind of, it's kind of one of those two things, like you know, that you're going to remember is like that, the World Trade Center. It's just yeah, it's that is. Jim's playing the commercial for the rocket mortgage in the background. That is a really weird commercial. Yeah. It says nothing. Well, at all. Yeah. Why does it say mortuary? I don't know. It's saying M <laughs> Mortality. Yeah. Mortician. It's kind of depressing. It's really weird. Actually, they have a few different versions of it's it. It's not my idea. Of all it right. Sounds. I hadn't seen that yet, but now that I'm seeing all of those words on the screen, I I'm can't help but wonder... What do they mean by all that? Death in the sky, yeah. get a home loan. I don't yeah. know. That's really weird. Well, and they're maybe, and actually, maybe stop watching it. That could be subliminal. Well, like we don't know what the uh, we're probably getting brainwashed by that. Yeah, reading weird words through the clouds with rockets or something. And it is a bad week for them to debut because thirtieth anniversary. Well, you know what's funny too. Mm-hmm. At least the news feed we were watching that Challenger peeled off to the right, just like the way they first present that rocket going into the sky going to the right like yeah that. yeah kind of weird that's a yeah. weird thing i don't like that uh, going back though quicken um yeah just like all the other banks they have a would they originate home loans themselves so you can call the phone number or whatever and get one go to the website and get one um and that would be just one channel of how they do business um, that's their retail channel and then their other channel is going to be like wholesale channel where they allow brokers to actually market their products and then send loan packages to them that they ultimately fund and buy. And then lastly, they have a correspondent channel where a lender um, does more of the work in-house, funds the loan actually in their own name, and then sells that loan to Quicken. Quicken operates in all three of these spaces. And um, just by nature of, you're right about it, is how much does it cost? If every loan has a cost to originate, their most expensive one is going to be the retail loan because they've got an office space with like paper clips and paper and internet connection and healthcare and the employee salary, all everything that goes into that. The the second, um, the more inexpensive one than that is the, the second option, which is wholesale. Um, where they are still going to have to do quite a bit of the jobs, but it's less than having the loan officer do all of the functionality, just sort of receiving a package to ultimately fund themselves. And the most affordable way for them to originate a loan is to pay somebody else like us to do it. And so in order to incent us to do that, um, 
they give us a lower interest rate than they offer in either of the two other channels. And that's really how all banks work. So um, I know we we talk about this every once in a while, but it's it's kind of an interesting way to understand um, kind of what the why this why does this industry exist? Why would you go to Central Coast Lending to get a Quicken loan if you could go to Quicken and get a Quicken loan? Most of the time, when you insert a middleman, you pay more. In these cases, inserting a middleman, you actually pay less. And it's also, it's a little bit more complicated. I mean, I simplify that cost to originate, but also has to do with the, the reps and warrants, right? I mean, which is the originating lender making guarantees and having some responsibility for performance or fraud or something in a loan file. So now there's another party to be held accountable. And so for that, that, you know, there's a, there's some value there for the lender ultimately that ends up with the loan. Yeah. That doesn't impact the consumer too much, but for the end investor, if, if it's Quicken or whoever they do, um, they have a partner that they're sharing some risk with. Yeah. So for an early payment default, like, you know, if the customer something happens and they just don't even pay the first loan payment, um, those are often like if we've made that loan and attempt to sell it and they don't even make the first payment, we have to buy it back right then and then figure out the problem ourselves. Um, and, and then so those early payment defaults like that are a big uh, kind of one of the bigger risks because the other part of it, the other main part is if there's fraud. Uh, and whether that fraud is intentional or not, if there happens to be fraudulent loan documentation in the file, you know, e even if it was provided to us and accepted to be true and we forward it on and it proves not to be, we have liability in that. Um, and then as you could imagine, I hate to think this happens, but companies that would actually produce fraudulent documents themselves for loans they intend to sell, um, of course, they're responsible for that. So that's definitely part of it. And like I said, it doesn't affect the consumer very much, but for it's definitely a part of the business. So that being said, there's one more part to this, I think, um, just in terms of the pricing is it's kind of like a mall, like a mall of shoes. If there were a whole mall of shoes, everybody would have to really analyze their profit margin and their product selection. You better have something that nobody else offers or be really good at something that everybody else is sort of mediocre at or do the same thing everybody else does but have a way lower shoe cost. In this case, I'm talking loan products. So you better have some loans that nobody else has, like we said, uh, manufactured home loans or acreage loans, construction loans. I mean, there's a variety of little things that not all banks will do. So you gotta have one of those. Um, or a great service, like just anything you do is just so amazing. The process smooth and defined and simple. Um, and then lastly, you can do so by interest rate. If I, everything else is equal, well, we both offer this loan and we both offer it for this property type. Um, I'm just going to offer you a lower closing cost for the same interest rate or a lower interest rate or whatever. Um, and so these banks, they know that. I mean, it's like this is the strip mall of lending. And so they compete with one another and they know that in this space, a company like ours, I mean, we have literally dozens and dozens of approvals of different banks we work with. And so what they do is they 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 put their best for forward every day attempting to win that business. How do you stand out to a lender that's got 40 options? 
I mean, you got to make it known what you're good at, and you got to make it known in the space where you're competing for the same product with others that you've got excellent interest rates. And that's that's sort of the gist of how a company like Central Coast Lending can come on the radio and say, yeah, we got Quicken. They're nothing fancy. We don't really send loans to them. Um, they're not they're not the best. <laughs> and I always tell my clients, the funny thing is that we have the approvals of all the banks you can get to at a lower rate than they'll give you typically. Um, and those aren't the banks we usually send money to because if you can get to them or you know about them, they're spending money on advertising or their rent's too high. The companies that tend to get our money are in like other places and parts of the country where rent's really cheap and they don't advertise at all, let alone during the Super Bowl. And they just, they don't do free checking accounts or any of the things that lose money. They just are really focused on being highly profitable and just mortgage. And the way they can do that is by getting as much of that business as they can with the lowest possible interest rates and closing costs. Those are the places that we're sending your loan when you come to us. So it's not, yeah, of, of the quiver, sometimes we end up, we have to send a loan to Quicken, where they're just the only company that seems to understand this particular issue or this particular borrower or have this particular program. Sometimes it's an acreage deal and you might have to go to Impact or, you know, Cash Call or something like that. But um, it's that's not the norm. The norm is we're, we're going to shop it out to a company that um, you probably don't have access to. And just by design, it's going to be cheaper because of that. I got a question for you, actually, Jason. One of those loans you were just talking about, I got a friend that actually has property that she's trying to sell. It's kind of one of those things that if, you, if you're retired or if you're, you're not working or if you don't have to work or whatever, it might be a better deal. But she works and she's trying to sell it and it's out behind Lopez Lake and you have to oh. cross through the creeks to get to it. And it's 10 acres and mostly unusable, but good for a house and grazing a horse, you know, having horses maybe and stuff like that. So something like that, would that be a better yeah, approach? That, that? that is a pretty good example. And first of all, I'm not, I'm not on here today suggesting that that's only the kind of loan that we want. <laughs> I mean, those are hard loans to do period, because at most basically, no matter where you live as a borrower, we know how to address your character and ability to repay. Yeah. We know how to look at your income, assets, credit, everything like that. We look at the properties. The big the big concern here is we don't want to facilitate somebody paying more than something's worth because if there's right. a problem and then we have to sell it, we're, you know, like through the foreclosure process, we're going to get pummeled if we've allowed you to buy it for twice what it's worth. So right. Because of that, these appraisal standards say that they want to find properties that are similar. Three solds and three listings. Mm -hmm. So there aren't three houses like hers that sold. Um, right. Maybe ever there are, sure. Yeah. But here's the next part. Three properties sold and three properties currently mm -hmm. listed within a mile within mm -hmm. three months. Mm -hmm. All right. Now we're like, we're tightening way down. Yeah. When things are on acreage, it's really difficult to sometimes... Um, you don't even get three properties within a mile. Right. You know, sometimes they're big enough that there's just that much real estate between them. And so it gets really difficult to be confident in that appraisal. And this is why most banks shy away. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question, though, we do have banks that would entertain that type of project, uh, that type of property mm -hmm. um, that, like Dan said, companies that are more familiar with acreage and more comfortable with it. Um, 
I mean, without a doubt, the very best thing that could happen to her is she's trying to sell this and somebody with like the Powerball winners come yeah, forward and go, exactly. we want to get away right. from all these people and that's we're just going to pay cash. That would yeah. probably be great. But if that's not that likely, what then happens is somebody comes in with a loan. That's probably not a great candidate for somebody that is like minimal down payment type of person. Right. The bank that's going to cozy up to that is going to try to be as confident as they can in the value of mm-hmm. the home, in the quality of the borrower, and then mm-hmm. really take their... Um, their comfort in some down payment because that, right. that down payment then becomes the buffer. But there are absolutely banks out there that, I mean, they send us flyers every day of that's what they're looking for. Yeah. They want your super weird cheap farm or your, you know, over a hundred acre property or your, you know, whatever it, it might just the weirdest thing you could think of right. compared to, the neighborhood over here off ocean air, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, everybody can do that loan. What we're looking for is like a, a hobby vineyard of 30 acres. And you know that, so those, those kind of companies do exist, but you know, it's, it's another good example that you bring up. If you just walk on into Wells Fargo and say, here's this property I want to finance, they're just going to go, Oh, that's a, we kind of don't do that. That's not something that we're interested in. And it can be really frustrating. So yeah. it's, a, it's important when you do have those um, unique characteristics. This, by the way, is what brokers frequently get praised for mm-hmm. is the um, ability to have such a wide array of product and to be able to accommodate m- so many more loan needs than just what one direct lender can. Yeah, well, and part of her uh, thing too is, and she's she's happy about being off the grid, but that's also part of the problem because you have to have propane brought in, or you have, you know, sure. you're not on the, a sewer system, you're on a, a septic system, and you yeah. have to have that maintained and things like that. So, and then also your power, you have to have a power grid somehow. So yeah. it's like, um, so that's it makes part it- of the coolness of it, but it's also part of the problem. Yeah, well, and it also makes that i mean probably when she bought it it was probably more affordable too right because it lacks some of that infrastructure and service and stuff so kind of all comes out in the wash on it but yeah there's there's some lending opportunities out there i don't want to make it sound like there's a lot (laughs) it's a it's gonna prove to be a pretty short list after that but yeah um yeah that's a good example thanks jim um, hey, it's just I'm before, here to help. Yeah, appreciate that. It's just before 9.30 here, so we need to do a commercial break, take to time out to thank the sponsors. So we're going to do that, and when we come back, um, give us a call. Ask us a question, share a comment, strategies about the new year, fears in the new year, successes. Somebody call us, say something. Dan pointed out already. He didn't. You said we, you didn't think we had a call yet. The new year. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, but you guys got listeners. Your numbers are good. I've yeah. s- I've seen them. They're good. Cool. I'd like to see those numbers. Yeah. How I'm does really I? I'm always I'm really so good. curious about that. Yeah. How do you know what radios tune to? <sighs> it's like bouncing back to space. Is Big Brother yeah. watching so close yeah. they know what I'm listening to? No, they're, you guys are doing good. Shoosh. Cool. Okay. All right, we're going to do a break. Stick around for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. As mortgage experts, we can help you refinance your home or investment property. We can lower your rate, shorten your term, or get rid of your mortgage insurance. Don't miss the opportunity to improve your financial situation. Call Central Coast Lending today. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people. Agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, welcome back. Maybe that first part of the conversation is a little boring for average people that aren't listening just to learn all about loans. Um, interestingly enough, during the break, I got this email <laughs> from one of the banks we work with <laughs> saying, lender of choice, yeah. offering VA and FHA lending down to a 500 credit score. I was like, see, there's another case in point right there. Um, not all banks are actually out advertising, hey, we want your people that have really bad credit. <laughs> but that's like, this is this company's niche in the market. That's all they want. They're not saying, um, hey, do loans with us. By the way, we'll go this low. They're coming out going, this is what we do, is low credit government loans. So... If you've got those people, we're the stop for it. And and by the way, a lot of companies will impose their own minimum credit score. You know, we're real glad VA will do a 500 credit score loan. We're going to draw that line at 580. Like if you go or at 640 or whatever, if you go below that, 
you're just not the kind of clientele we want to play with. But then along come some of these companies that just go, no, we just, we're going to do it just like they say. They'll take 500, we'll do 500. So get them ready. Kind of crazy. Yep. Different strategies. They're going for the higher margin, riskier, riskier deal. Takes a little bit of skill, by the way, to have your credit in 500 <laughs> shape, yet be ready to buy a home. Yeah. That's a, that's about a hat trick. It's an art. Yeah. You, you gotta, you, you, and yeah, usually you've had a pretty long run of managing, or should I say mismanaging, um, bills and money to where you're like just playing the game well enough that you've got that 500 credit score, but it's altogether pretty miserable. And then you're ready to buy a house. That's a, that's a pretty rare, a rare bird. You don't see a whole lot of that. Usually it's somebody that would have had like a 620 or something. And then that like argument they had with Verizon led to a collection that now gave them like a 580, if only temporarily. And so they're like, they're pretty badly bruised credit just turned into like, oh, that's 500s credit. Um, and just so happens that it, you know, is right when they're trying to buy a house. That's usually those pretty low credit score loan type of people. Before the break, Jim brought up an example of, of unique properties. And you were talking about some of the appraisal standards of, or, you know, the general criteria that we look for to find a comparable property. And it made me think of something that popped up this week with a family member of mine trying to sell a home in a kind of, in a somewhat remote area of Northern California up near Lake Almanor. Okay. Um, my my cousin has owned this home for quite a while, and they don't live there anymore. They used to live there as their primary residence. Now it's a rental. But it's just a property they no longer care to own. Um, they've hung on to it for a long time because the market was pretty bad. Um, but now that it's rebounded, they can get out of it and, um, and get a little bit of equity out of it and move on. Um, so they've had the market listed. It's a remote area. There's not a lot of sales activity. In fact, in their neighborhood, there's only been four homes sold in the last 24 months. Yeah. So talk about... How similar were those four <laughs> homes, by the way? Like model match? <laughs> there's no. no such thing as a model match. Usually in a, in a sort of a rural mountainy area like that, they're very eclectic. Yeah. Very. Like the, here's a three-story, <laughs> 5,000-square-foot one, and then here's like a two-bedroom, one-bath, 800-square-foot one. Um, and so which one do you want to use? Yeah. It's that's a, a <laughs> so it's it's a home that's been on the market, and it's a it's a snowy area. So they've had it on the market during this, this winter um, season here, and it's been kind of slow going. They finally got an offer that they thought was a good offer. <clears throat> Keep in mind, you know, they did the normal process. They approached a realtor, discussed what they thought the home was worth, what they think it could so sell for based on other sales all around the lake. Um, and then a buyer who also is working with a realtor who's, you know, been helping them look at properties, found this property and said, you know, they, they talked about value and what they think it's worth. And together, the two parties came together and agreed that we want to buy this home for 300 grand. And they say, we accept that's a, that's a fair offer. We okay. think we, we agree. Dun, dun, dun. So the buyers are working with Wells Fargo. They go get an appraisal comes in at two forty six. Oops. Because in, in, in this, this appraiser who's been appraising since 2008. So I would say relatively new, just a, a newer market kind of appraiser. Um, 
they were not willing to go outside of one mile. In fact, all of the comparable sales were within a half mile of that property. Those are the only ones. They went outside the time frame. I think they went out to about a year um, to find those four sales. Wow. So it turns out those four sales actually happened in the last year. There was really nothing going on the year before. Right. And that's all they would use. They wouldn't go into other neighborhoods around the lake because this appraiser was so focused on finding something in that very neighborhood. And it was kind of baffling to me because this is a classic example of a remote area where you do have to expand the parameters well, and it is justifiable to do so. Back when I was underwriting, um, one of the we did some appraisal training just so that we would sort of have a, a better understanding of how to evaluate these appraisals. And one of the things that was really described in the beginning was like, in terms of the comps selected, we all know that there's that one mile, six months or three months or whatever, these amount of listings, there's net and gross adjustments and all these different things that you got to sort of be able to put your arms around. But this class was really cool. This guy said, hey, think about it this way, is think about the buyer, okay? And, and not only this buyer, but any buyer. If you were their realtor and you had to put them in the backseat of your car and drive them, where would you take them? Like, what's the market? If they're willing to buy in this town or in this area, what are they entertaining? So if we're in Tahoe, it seems like a pretty big divide between someone that's going to live in North Lake or South Lake. But when you're like in a town like Lake Almanor where you know, and I don't know enough about it. Do the people that were they buying it as a second home? Is buying this it primarily, as a primary residence? Yeah, and so, and then what the normal makeup of that market is and stuff like you know, like the hometown I'm from, the lake, it's. Um, shoreline is like 27 miles at big bear lake and um so it's not huge but some people would be willing to live in fawn skin which is like on the one of the far sides two lane windy road to get over there and others want to be right there in big bear lake where you know it's four lanes and stoplights and stuff and so if you're a realtor and you're sort of going, well, I'm going to show you one in Fonskin and then I'm going to show you one in Big Bear Lake. You obviously don't understand the client very well. So the idea, going back to the appraisal, is to sort of think about that in terms of what's in the market here. And in a market like that, it seems perfectly reasonable that a mile and a half, two miles, three miles, four miles, five miles. I mean, five miles? Think about where you live. Would you be willing to live within three to five miles of where you live? Sure. If, if a property met all your needs and you agreed that it was worth it? Yes. Yeah. No, <laughs> nobody just goes, yeah, the, I'm, I won't go more than a mile. That's it. This is, here's the mile you need to select me a home within. People don't really have that. Um, that sort of demand. Think about even Shell Beach. You can't even really demand that in Shell Beach. Shell Beach is more than a mile wide. Well, right? yeah, people will say, yeah, I'm willing to live in Los Osos, Morro Bay, Cayucas. You know, I even consider San Luis or Tascadero or, you know, maybe if I really am not minding the drive, I'll go all the way up to Paso. So this would be an interesting thing. And I know we're going to have an appraiser on the show next month. But here's a question that I legitimately do not know the answer to. Um, but if you're an appraisal management company, and Wells Fargo is using an appraisal management <coughs> company, right? They're they're doing the loan for those buyers. They hired an appraiser by way of the appraisal management company. I got to imagine that that appraiser goes out there and goes, okay, 
you know, and, and and I'm sort of like I'm I'm attempting to to let a little bit of the blame roll off this appraiser, but the appraiser goes out there and goes, okay. In the last 24 months, there's like three sales, and they're not going to support this value. They are within the mile, and um, now I got to know what is Wells Fargo like. What's their protocol? Are they more comfortable with me going back in time to find more that are close but older? Or are they more comfortable with me expanding the geographic proximity and staying more recent? Um, and I think that probably, and this is what I want to ask an appraiser, is there's probably some sort of company protocol where they have defined those parameters, you know? And, and obviously for us, I mean, we're not the scale of Wells Fargo. We don't own our own appraisal management company either, which is interesting. I think Wells Fargo probably does. Um, but, you know, we don't, we don't get to set all of that criteria, though I have had appraisal management companies call me and say, hey, we're, we're bumping into this issue on this property. You know, what, how do you, how would you like us to proceed? Do you want to use this form or that? Do you want to do this way or that way? I've gotten those kind of phone calls, but, um, you know, I wonder if that's part of it, that that just the Wells piece of it said, don't go in a rural area, don't go outside the mile. We'd rather have you come in bizarrely undervalued than justify based on going too far. So let me continue with this story here. Okay. It rewind three years in 2012, December of 2012. Oh, no. They had a Wells Fargo appraisal. We did their refinance. Okay. Oddly enough, with Wells Fargo. And the appraisal came in at 280000 three years ago for this same property to do a refinance, which usually a refinance appraisal is actually more conservative. And the, re the difference was, in that appraisal, the appraiser was willing to go three miles away to the next closest neighborhood and find comparable properties there. This appraiser in this purchase transaction this month or this week was not willing to go to that same neighborhood where there were comps that would support this property. They were sticking to their guns that I have to find stuff in this neighborhood. And, you know, that's the only option. And so it's, it's really interesting to me because what you have here before this appraisal occurred was two independent yeah, parties what's that? working with realtors who are, are they're local their, their local realtors offering their professional opinions of value coming together in a non-distressed sale and agreeing upon a value of three hundred thousand dollars and then this that appraiser comes sounds, in and derails it that sounds like market rate to me i mean that's wes always spouts off the actual definition but it's something along the lines of what a ready, willing, and able buyer is willing to pay for a property. Yeah. So it sounds like these guys were at market value and now it's been arbitrarily decided by somebody constrained by geographic proximity said, ma, you'll suffer a 20% discount if you um, want to move forward. Yeah. And they asked me my opinion since I'm in this business and I said, well, gosh, exactly what you were saying. Put yourself in the buyer's shoes. If you're out looking for a home, would you go three miles away to this other neighborhood and look for homes also? Probably. Yeah. Most likely. There's not a lot of 
homes for sale up there in the first place. So you're probably going to check out the couple that are in this one neighborhood and also go to this other neighborhood and check out a couple too. That's what the appraiser should be doing. Sure. And they're not. And unfortunately now, this appraisal has been completed and been turned into Wells Fargo. And they are unwilling to consider any other appraisal. So now they're faced with having to negotiate with the seller or use encouraging the seller or the buyer, excuse me, encouraging the buyer to use a completely different lender altogether. Maybe they want to use Central Coast Lending. (laughs) It's been thrown out there (laughs) as an option. That's probably blurring some arm's length line or something. But But boy, man, what a that's frustrating. Yeah, and you know what, too? There's also some part of me that that, um, if if you were an appraiser today, like you just, congratulations, you got your license and you did your time and we're just going to cut you free. Um, Those are trickier assignments, right? I mean, it's not the same as doing like a a condo report for a 200-unit condo complex where the model match homes are all over the place and you just need to decide what the difference between granite and quartz and tile countertops means to a value. But you get like thrust into an area where it's like, okay, some of these are like gambrels, some are A-frames, some are three stories. I mean, it's harder. Oh, I looked at the comps and not one of the four solds looks anything like the subject, nor do they look like each other. They're all so very different. Yeah. And that was one of the other things, like in terms of that appraisal training we got was they said, um, one of the first places to start to make sure that comps made sense was to look at the photographs first before you know anything about it and judge this based on your realtors pulling up to the curb. Are these homes all kind of in the same market would the buyer even want to walk into that home or so you say, start nah, with the next. pictures and you go oh yeah 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 or then all of a sudden it's like oh no that's a <laughs> oh, the the dome house the geodesic <laughs> dome house doesn't fit in my like craftsman style single family home search how, how did this get in here um you know and so it's, it's just it's an interesting thing but that's always i think been the biggest challenge of the appraiser is trying to reconcile that market value thing. And of course, our pendulum's a little too far on the conservative side today because we just came off the season of made-to-order appraisals where they cherry-picked properties and even misrepresented like you're, oh, we'd get these phone calls, you know. It's like, well, what happened was the... The property just wasn't worth the four hundred grand that you guys needed it to be worth, and so the appraiser changed the square footage of Comp Two from sixteen hundred to two thousand square feet. And wouldn't you know it, with that Comp Two being larger, now all of a sudden the house is worth it, and you're like, oh, okay. But that kind of stuff was happening, so it doesn't surprise me now. We're in this period where we're pretty conservative, and um, I was actually just talking to some realtors the other day. It's been a really long time since I've seen an appraisal ruin a transaction around here. Think about that. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a while. And it's impressive, too, because most of the... um, And I'm going to suggest that for the mid-sized property, like the average home, no matter where you are in the county, it's like mostly accepted that they're worth 5% a year more. I mean, around the county. It depends where it is, but that's pretty much the average, what we're used to seeing. And so 
that's another one of those challenges is it's hard where the appraiser in order to justify an appreciated value, he has to show something that sold for more. So what you have in an inflating market like this is that that leading edge is always like struggling for comps. And that's where you usually see an appraiser just, the market went up 5%, but they can't really capture it. It was like a supply and demand thing. The appraiser can't really figure it out on paper, but to say these people agreed to pay this and it was marketed for six days and nine people tried to buy it, you know, that part of it, um, is hard to justify on paper. But, um, I was, I sort of was like, yeah, you know what? It's been a couple years since we've had that problem of appraisals coming in for less than the sales price and, and hurting transactions. It was really fluky. And so all in all, I was thinking at least around here, it's pretty good. You know, I think the appraisers are doing a good job. And most all of the banks are doing a good job of of allowing the appraisers to sort of trust them again to be having that autonomy of the report of like, you know what, I, I went out there. This is what I do. These are the comps that are out there. These are listings. This is what this house is worth. We're not seeing a lot of pushback. We don't see – you remember four or five years ago, every approval had an underwriter asking an appraiser exhaustive questions or provide three more comps or tell us why you think – Property two's view is $10,000 more than property one. Um, that kind of stuff has really gone to the wayside. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where you sort of a little bit of the, the you know, that struggle of the transaction's been removed and, and we sort of forgot what a pain in the butt that was. And I was like, hey, you know what? Stop and think about it. That piece of our business, at least locally, has been pretty good for a while. The appraisal thing, the property value, accepting that you know it's it's all been um pretty pretty smooth lately well one of the big changes in the industry is is the data that's collected on appraisers now when one of the big functions of these appraisal management companies is to track appraisers not only how quickly they they accept orders and do inspections and return the reports you know that's a big component of of how they're evaluated but also how many corrections they're being asked to make on each appraisal um, so there's a lot of data and as time goes on there's just going to be more and more data and and it's real easy then to evaluate who's pushing the lines who's who's making more errors than other appraisers and who's really doing a great job sure. and, and i think that's one of the good things to come of all this change is is to have that oversight and evaluation prior to the implementation of amc's which was what 2010 or so nine i would say nine um prior to that they were really just kind of, I mean, gunslingers almost. They were just operating independently. They got selected directly from the loan officer, and there really was no one other than their own boss. But a lot of or an underwriter or an underwriter to police the quality of the work. But even then, it was more you know if that underwriter stuck with that particular mortgage company for a while and got familiar with the names they saw. But sure. if but if they're in a in a bigger market where you don't necessarily see that same guy, you don't remember you know. Joe Smith's appraisals always come in high. He's always fudging things. Now there's recorded data, and it's all it's all shared, and it's it's a lot different world. Um, but I think for the better. Yeah, I agree. It's for the better. No question. It's for the better. I mean, think about the things we used to complain about too. Like back in, you know, the 08, 09 was like we had this problem of 
the first couple years of that that sort of anonymity where you all right this dude's gonna do a report and we're it's like a refi or something and we're not even allowed to talk to him we're just gonna get this thing and would come in eighty thousand dollars low from what anybody expected and you're like dude a couple months ago that was like a courtesy call you would call me up and go hey you know what jason we <laughs> i went out there and i looked at this thing and i ran the comps to computer and dude there's no way this place is worth eighty thousand dollars less than you're trying for and just heads up and you go oh man okay just stop don't what can we pay you right now to not to get some of that you know because you used to pay the appraiser at the end right it's like you're gonna people are gonna be all pissed off when they get your report for 80 grand too low which ruins their transaction and then you're like oh and by the way i'll take 400 bucks now so you just be like okay well if we're missing it and we know it then just stop right now what can we give you you know for your time thanks you know whatever 100 bucks and just just to pull the plug on it. Then we went through this whole period where that that benefit was gone and we were just getting handed these crappy appraisals and being expected to pay for them. In fact, we paid for them up front. And it was like, wow, this is really, really frustrating that you'll have zero confidence at all of what you're about to get. And, um, and I'd argue that today there's still a couple of appraisers around that I don't love. We ran into one this week where a local appraiser went out to a property and it turns out they didn't even know what they were appraising because they did it on the wrong form. They did it on a, on a PUD yeah. form and not a condo form. And they're even required to mark what kind of property it is and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And they just missed. And it didn't get caught until the appraisal was turned into underwriting. And the underwriter's is like, uh, this is a condo? Yeah. You got to change forms, use different condo That's a comps. tough one. And I don't ultimately know how that thing settled up, but I heard it suggested that they wanted more money to switch the form. Well, yeah, because they had to use entire different comps. They had to go comp I, condos. I'm like, okay, but this <laughs> just, I if this were, if this were my transaction and I, and I also understand it, that it sounded like you offered to cover the cost of the new appraisal. To save face and keep the customer happy. Sure. The customers didn't because do anything wrong. the customer wrong. didn't do anything okay. wrong. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> this to me um, is like one of these things where, so you go into the local, um, I don't want to name any names. I have no problem with any of the local like oil change facilities, but you go in for an oil change and they like, cause you're, let's say your, your maintenance lights on. And so you go in for an oil change and then like you come out and the technician has like dumped the transmission. And so you're like, Hey, cool. Um, I was here for an oil change and they're like, well, pff, the transmission service is $400 and now you owe us another 300 for the oil change. She's like, no, 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 boss, you're the dude with the wrench. Like you shouldn't have taken that bolt out. I will not pay you for that. That's like how that appraisal thing should have went down. But in the essence of time and keeping everybody happy and on track and everything, it's like, oh, uh, you know, you'll, you'll pay 300 bucks to sort of redo this thing. But the reality is that appraiser should, should certainly know better. And I'm only going to suggest that they're a little out of market. Um, for example, in San Luis down here on South Higuera, 
where South Higuera and Los Osos Valley Road hit. Uh, you've got Los Osos, Los Verdes Parks 1 and 2. Okay. Mm-hmm. Those are... Um, those are interesting little developments, and they're pretty big. There's a, there's a lot of homes in there. Um, I recently had a transaction where a buyer bought one of those. And we were coming all the way down with our investor to funding this loan, and they said, oh, time out, man. This thing's a condo. <laughs> no, it's not. Trust me. Um, 17 years ago, I was going to keg parties in that neighborhood. <laughs> you know? 13 years ago, one of my buddy's parents bought a house in there. 12 years ago, you know, I, we know this place. It's in our neighborhood. It's We're totally familiar with it. That's not a condo. I know it's not. It's a PUD. And, and more importantly, it's a detached PUD, and I'm sure of it. So let's begin the, the barrage of paperwork to prove it to you. And an appraiser that's been around the local community and and done the lap and appraised properties for long enough to have a little bit of credibility, they already know that in any kind of a project where there's any question at all, whether you're dealing with a condominium or a PUD, they if they don't already know because they've done a bunch of assignments in there already, they know exactly what it takes to go that that quickly and make sure they get on the right form because they belong on two different forms and when you screw it up people get pissed that's <laughs> just because they figure it out right at funding right so that appraiser at a minimum whoever that was and i who no don't say it on the radio whoever that was screwed up yeah and shouldn't have been paid more money they should have they should have had to you know put the tranny fluid back to its normal level and go ahead and change the oil yeah. that's like that's how that should have gone down that's frustrating, though. Um, but to me, that's like 101. And it's it's never the fault of the client. Like, I'll get clients that come in and they're like, yeah, I need to refinance my apartment. Like, oh, how? what are you calling an apartment there, bud? You know, it's like because uh, you, you own the whole complex. You don't have one <laughs> of those here. And it's like, oh, well, somehow like in their family or whatever they call a condo an apartment okay that's cool we gotta i just know the responsibilities on me to get to the bottom of what the true legal type of property is here Mm -hmm. you don't get to own one piece of an apartment unless we're like in new york and you got a co-op or something that's a whole nother can of worms so it's a it's up to the professionals involved to know what the property type is and treat it accordingly uh, that's the whole first hour there, kids. So we got another hour yet to come. There's more stuff to talk about, by the way. Unemployment, GDP. All kinds oh, of Oh, yeah, plenty, plenty. So we're going to take the top of the hour break. Be out for about four or five minutes or so. We'll be back for a whole other hour of Mortgage Matters. We do hope that you'll join us. I have to admit, I like the song. It's a good song. Yeah. Play something a little more modern, too, in the show. There it is, right? That's what I thought this was. I didn't have my headphones on, and I was like, I thought I heard, hello. Yeah. Adele, hello. Good song. Yeah, I'm usually into the classic rock thing, but you know, once in a while, I mix it up. Surprising. We are in I'm California, surprised. too. There's the hook. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's, so, it, this song's just so like sad. Yeah, it's a little down. And they're like, but, you know, but it does pick up. I think it's gonna pick up right here. <laughs> yeah, it does. We'll probably played more than we're supposed to, but what the heck? We're talking about it. Right, and we're talking over. Here it is. It, so. See, there it is. Right, and. <laughs> her accent makes her say hello too, which yeah. is weird. Hello. <laughs> Maybe yeah. hello sounded too weird when she like drew it out. It sounded like hell play, for a play bar. Words. She's going on on tour soon and one of my friends is like, you know, a lot of people really like her, right? And they want to see her live. They're like, what do you do at a an Adele <laughs> concert? You just like Text your call, ex yeah, text your ex and just cry a lot. Bring a box of tissues. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you do at one, but but I like the song. So my my uh, wife and kids love to sing that song. Mm -hmm. Belt it out, you know. Capture your inner depression. Hey, we don't have time for fooling around this hour. There's no. a lot of news to cover. No Tom. A lot Poolery. of stuff. We do have time for phone calls, though. So if you. Wow have a real estate or mortgage related question or comment um we'd love to hear from you you can call in at 543-8830 543-8830 i know it's rainy outside so you're probably just hanging out inside kind of bored kind of restless give us a call <laughs> let's talk let's talk shop we love it um but yeah there was a lot of a lot of news um this week a lot of big numbers. In fact, there was even a Fed meeting this week. Yeah, right? Yeah. Snuck that one, one in there. That one didn't get a lot of press, did it? I still <laughs> saw, though, now that everything is so sensationalized, it was like the two hours, four minutes, 13 seconds till the Fed statement. <laughs> I was like, man, the statement this time is going to be like, guys, we know that China's melting down. Yeah, things are crazy. Oil's dropping. The Dow's been a wild ride. Uh, hang in there. We didn't raise rates. That's the Fed state. We don't need to. We don't need to sit on pins and needles for that one. Yeah, and to no one's surprise, the Fed did not make any additional changes to their benchmark interest rate. What about their statement? They made no hints about future changes, so left people guessing. You know, after the December meeting, all the all the um, you know, folks who know they or think they know predicted that there would be anywhere from three to four more um, adjustments this the year. The stuff I was reading was like um, at December for the first announcement, then, okay, well, what's going to happen in 2016? They said four times. And the new stuff is saying two times. Yeah. So, and now they're saying two to three times. Yeah. So it sounds like we're. Um, Maybe not as strong as we thought we were a couple months ago. I'm still sticking to three. Three was, I think, the the prediction that I made. But I predicted that one of them was going to be more than a quarter of a point. So for a total of 1% increase over the calendar year. We'll see if that proves true. Um, but some interesting notes from the meeting. Um, they... The statement said that they still expect economic activity will expand over the year at a moderate pace. They also said that they, they still expect the labor market would continue to strengthen. Um, and you mentioned China, global concerns in general. Um, they did not express the same level of concerns as 
they did in September when there was a similar stretch of of bad global news and, and a sell-off in stocks and things like that. So the Fed doesn't seem to be concerned about what's going on. Did and a you... lot of the, the talk I've heard on the financial news networks, you know, there's difference of opinions, of course. But, you know, one of the prevailing opinions seems to be that this is just a normal market correction and don't get too alarmed about it all. That's the, I mean, that's... That's the right thing to say as you're trying to calm the market. Um, I kept thinking, though, so that meeting was, what, Tuesday, Wednesday? Yep. Or Monday, Tuesday. No, I think it was Tuesday, Wednesday. Tuesday, Wednesday. There was some interesting data, though, from Thursday and Friday that came out. <laughs> so the feds didn't quite have benefit of the full um, package of everything. Um, did you see that the Bank of Japan this week change their uh, deposit rate. Yeah, it's negative now. You have to pay for, <laughs> for the privilege of storing your money Here, in a bank. Here, keep my money and you can have some of it for doing so. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty crazy. And if that's not a, you know, some kind of a a suggestion of things to come there. I mean, that's that's not good. And surprisingly, as I was hearing about that, I wasn't aware that there are other other countries that have similar negative interest rates. Yeah, you can countries do it. Countries in the Netherlands and you can do that. Yeah, it's quite. I I just I I wasn't aware that there were negative interest rates going on. If right now. this, so I started thinking about that too. So suggesting, you know, so the next part, I guess, before I get too far ahead of myself, um, GDP. There's a read on GDP that was announced this week. Um, so this was the period between October and December. Bleh. The slowest pace since the first quarter. Um, the economy grew at 0.6 pace and parts of the country battled blizzards and business shutdowns. So again, little undertones of blaming it on weather. Um, the U.S. economy grew at 2.4% in all of 2015, which was flat as compared to 2014. Exact same um, two years in a row. And the rates of growth by quarter were almost identical to the previous year also. Just the way that, you know, first quarter was so bad it was either flat or negative, and then second quarter was a rebound, and third quarter was really trucking along, and then fourth quarter, big slowdown. So what's that mean? I mean, 2.4, I think, is is pretty darn near in line with expectations, 2.4% over the entire year. So the little highlights that I saw out of here said that the country's biggest corporations are watching sales and profits decline um, because overseas businesses are hurt by the strong dollar, um, which is compounded with falling oil prices. And then uh, China has a pretty good um, consumption base. So when China's market is struggling the way that it continues, um, that that just it's, it's bleeding over into our side too and perhaps you know maybe dragging our GDP down a little bit from what it could be yeah but given all those challenges to have the annual reading at 2.4 percent which what we consider healthy is three percent so not too far off of that that feels like a win to me it, it feels pretty 
sure pretty okay i'm not i mean it's, it's not, not negative it's not negative it's not terrible it's, it's not it's, worse than it were the it's year before not far off of, of what we consider healthy i don't know what this is based on but my whole life i've always been under the impression and perhaps it's just the teachers i had when i was little but that if the thing with capitalism is that you you're you have to be growing your economy or else you're in trouble and so there's that to me, that's just it. When I see it be flat for two full years like that, I go, okay, well, I was told that's not good. If you're not growing, you're dying. Um, and I, there's only so much you and I can do to affect GDP other than just get up and go to work tomorrow. So I'm not losing any sleep over it. Um, but you would think with all this money injected into the economy, you know, the all of the stimulus plans – the strength that we have right now as a country, why wouldn't we be having like 4% GDP? Why aren't we just going gangbusters on this cheap oil? That's time to manufacture. Um, and then there's a couple of things that match it up, though, and you can kind of see why. Is that um, we learned this, uh, this last week, too, that the measure of consumer spending, personal consumption expenditures, was nearly flat in the fourth quarter. Um, so that's an interesting thing too, is trying to trying to dissect how the consumer is feeling. Um, the consumers got a little bit of extra money right now because gas is cheaper, and the consumers also sort of tightened up the expenses there, not spending a lot of money. So that that's an interesting thing. You know, is that the problem? We we just don't have people don't have confidence. Um, well, the, the consumer confidence reading came out and it's at a three month high. It was above expectations. So we're confident in wanting to save now. Well, I think I think just overall there's there's some positive. I mean, the biggest thing is jobs and, and jobs have been only improving. The jobs market has only been improving. Yeah, I, I hear you out there that it's not perfect. There are still people who are out of work, people who are still underemployed. I'm with you. I, I see it too. But we can all agree that it's a whole lot better than it was just a few years ago. Um, so that is 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 bringing some confidence back to this market. Um, I think that's probably the biggest thing. And yeah, just because people aren't spending money doesn't mean they're they've lost confidence in the economy. Maybe it means they're being a little more prudent with their money. I know this year, when it came to holiday spending, my whole family took a whole different approach on how we were going to do it this year. We felt like we didn't. We made a collective decision, and everyone kind of went into it and came together, and we all were thinking the same thing. Like, why do we all just buy things that we all don't really need or That's what want? My family Maybe did let's too. just. Let's spend some money on the kids and do like a white elephant for all the adults. Because we all, when yeah. we want things, we just go buy them during the year. I don't yeah. need you to, I don't need to like rack my brain for something that I maybe kind of need, but don't really need. It's just so you can go out and spend some money on me. I don't need that. Some other $50 <laughs> trinket. Yeah. Because I can blow $800 buying $50 worth of junk at a time. And in return, I'm going to get like some $50 things in return that I don't really want either. Right. That was what we did too. And and I I wondered about that where it's like, well, how many people are getting that way? Like, I'm kind of tired of the advertising of the seasons and holidays yeah, getting shoved down my throat. Starting in October or whatever. It's crazy. Hey, we have a caller. Um, First awesome. one of the year. <laughs> We've got Ray calling in from San Luis Obispo. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. How are you guys today? Doing very well. Glad very to hear Thanks. from you. 
Good. I got a couple questions. I don't know if the second one applies. The first one is, um, my wife passed away uh, in November, and I had a friend that told me that I'm supposed to get an appraisal on my house when that happens. And I just I didn't understand why, but is that correct? Um, well, first, I want to say I'm really sorry to hear that. Thank you. And hear that you have you. to go through that. I know that's a difficult time. Um, mm-hmm. As far as getting an appraisal on your home... I I, mm-hmm. I I think I mean have you been working with an, an estate planner or guys you guys had an estate plan of any sort? No. Okay. No. no. Um, and then so the next question so I that might not be a bad idea. Um, there's some people okay. in town here that you might reach out to. It has it has a little bit to do and I mean in terms of the appraisal to me I I really can only wrap my mind around what that means. Um, and I think most specifically to whether or not there's anything there subject to probate, which I would guess not if you were, depending on how you were vested in the property. So you and your wife acquire the property together? Yes. Yes, and, we did. And you guys both, were you both on the loan? Do you have a loan? Was it paid cash for? How did that go? No, we have a loan. I mean, both signed on the loan. And and have you ever had an instance where either one of you guys came off of title for any reason? No. No, we haven't. So, just, and, and again, I'm not an estate planner, so I can't really be qualified to give you any advice at all. But from what I, I you okay. haven't described any red flags to me. What happens where the big challenges are, and and I think ultimately what your friend is suggesting is that concerns about whether or not there's probate and coming up with the value of the home, but then also is there any risk to your tax base when the county assessor's office changes the title, um, you know, however it is that you'll hold title subsequently to that. So. Um, I I don't actually think that there's anything to worry about in terms of either one of those things, but I, I, I do think, you know, there's some folks in town that you might reach out to, and I don't know that there's any one in particular that I feel totally drawn to, but I would find the counsel of an estate attorney, most of which will, um, talk with you on the telephone for free just to make sure that, you know, if there are anything that is really pressing that you do need to do right away. But just ordering an appraisal, though, I don't think so. I would think okay. that, yeah, only if there's there's another party that's entitled to your wife's share of the, of the property. But in most instances, when it's a married couple, that her interest would just automatically go to you. And so there's... Yeah, and most of the time, married couples today are taking title as married with um, the right of survivorship. So that if mm-hmm. one person should pass away the property naturally flows to the surviving spouse rather than have to go through you know in years past with other and currently with other types of vesting other than that right of survivorship there could be um claims of you know somebody else or some other thing something needing to happen in, in california is a community property state so even if you guys were just husband and wife as community property that allows mm-hmm. for your guys's community property to flow into you um but i do the the one thing that comes to mind that you know you might just need to consider in talking to an an estate attorney is to to find out whether or not there's 
you know, probate type of things that are going to go on? Or if all of your assets were held jointly in community property, is that just enough? And and you probably want to know that. I mean, and I, I don't know that there's anything that can or should be done about it, but just to that you don't have any uncertainty. And um, even though it's been a couple of months, I'm sure that uh, grieving and stuff is still hard, but it's probably a pretty good mm-hmm. time to get answers to some of those questions. So you're saying an estate uh, attorney? Yeah, I'd call an estate attorney, and um, and most of them will do like a free consultation for you and kind of understand what your concerns are, what your needs are, and give you an idea of things that you need to do and whether or not, you know, it's appropriate to engage their services to come up with some other plan now. Because, you know, of course, should something happen to you, that's where probate steps in and looks to give property to your kids or, you know, then to your siblings or to your nieces and nephews or to your parents. There's a, a interesting flow of how property goes if if you should pass away and it goes through probate and so it just might be worth understanding that um and and perhaps avoiding some of the things you wouldn't like to happen um by putting a plan into place but at least go for the free consultation first and make sure that you're not uh, missing anything right now okay i will do that i appreciate that i got one more quick question sure i wanted to know if maybe you can't answer but I, i'm going to ask it uh I wanted to know if you could tell me where I could go to find out how how windfall exemption affects Social Security. I mean, I, I just want to know because I got, <laughs> I'm on a set budget, and I want to know how much I'm going to clear when I retire, and I, if I can retire. I'm not sure about that, but I'll tell you this. is The couple of mm-hmm. state attorneys that I do know work really close mm-hmm. with financial planners, um, mm-hmm. where they can basically figure out, number one, yeah, if it means that you're going to end up losing some or all of your Social Security in the year that you get the windfall, or if there's something that can be done, um, some mm-hmm. other vehicle to put it in to where you don't have to repay any of the Social Security or lose any of that benefit, even if only temporarily. Um, and so. Okay. That's a perfect question to also share with the estate attorney that you talk to, and I'm confident okay. that they're going to be able to get you over to the person they trust that does the the financial advising component of that to make sure that you don't um, again get get trapped in anything you weren't expecting on that side either. All right. Well, thank you very much. And as far as the first question I asked. Um, I'm I'm thinking about selling my house anyway, so appraisal is probably a good idea too, right? Well, your appraisal is not going to be good um, for the transaction, so it, oh, it won't okay. actually help right. anybody. It might, you know, the, the, at best what it's going to do is give you a little bit of an idea of what it's going to sell for and maybe some extra confidence in that, but you can typically get that out of a real estate agent where they'll do a comparative market analysis for you and give you a good idea of what the price point is to list at. And to be honest with you, in our county, um, the, mm-hmm. those numbers aren't hard to come up with. It's all so predictable around here of 
price per square foot based on condition, location, and size. And so uh, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd suggest that you don't get an appraisal so that you don't just waste that, you know, 500 bucks on that. Um, if you are mm-hmm. going to sell, then just engage a, a trusted realtor um, and they, they should be able to give you great guidance. If you don't have a realtor that you perfectly trust, I always um, suggest that people interview two or three of them, get their opinions. What mm-hmm. would you list my house for? What would the process look like? What would you do to market it? How much would you charge me? Um, get those answers out of three different people. You'll get an idea of who you most relate to, who seems the most credible, and who the right choice is to allow the the right of listing your home. Um, okay. I I am um, I want to give you Ray. I, I want to take you off the air here, but don't hang up. I'm going to put you back on with Jim, and I want to okay. give you the number of a financial planner that um, okay. that I think you should call. And 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 I and I'd suggest Great. call first so that you could then get the referral to an estate attorney from that person to answer some of your questions. But this person I know is going to be a great asset for you in terms of um, the windfall and how to navigate that. Oh, so, okay, thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Ray. Thanks much for calling. And again, our condolences to you. It sounds like um, you've not had a fun few months here, but hopefully uh, everything goes okay, and that you get some sound advice and just do the best you can. Well, thank you so much, and I appreciate the help with the questions too. All righty. Um, okay. And, yeah, hang on here, Steve. I'm going to have Jim share okay. this name and phone number with you off the air. What I say, Steve. My bad, Ray. <laughs> Do we want to take the break? And then yeah, I'll... let's take yeah, the break. Yeah, let's go ahead and take we'll... the break here. Yeah, it's a perfect time to take the break, so we'll go ahead and do our commercial break, take some time to thank the sponsor. We'll be back in a few minutes with more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Give yourself the best possible chance to buy your dream home with our 21-day close. We get you fully pre-approved before you find your house so you can write a shorter, easier offer and beat out the competition. It's time for you to be the offer that gets accepted. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance, 
Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, welcome back. It's Got so- the first call of the year. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually true now. Okay. But it was, it, yeah, had a dry spell here. It's nice to hear from people. Um, if there's anything that, that, you know, real estate or mortgage related or any financial question really that you think we might be able to help you out with, um, we'll do our best. Sometimes we don't know the answer, but we can. If only to give you to a referral partner that we know and trust that seems to have the right um contacts and network to be able to meet all the needs um i yeah i agree we're here to help probably anything relating to money or or property um give us a whack we'll we'll do our best to answer your questions if not point you in the right direction um so yeah we still have about a half hour to go here you can call us at 543-8830 we've got a little more news to plow through um, but we're always happy to take your phone calls so there's a lot of a lot of real estate news. We talked a little bit about economic um, news like GDP and consumer confidence, consumer spending. But there's some real, uh, home sales and um, a couple of home price indices that came out. I don't know if you caught wind of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see here. We saw new home sales jump up pretty, pretty good. They were up almost 11%. Um, compared to last month, I believe. And it was the third consecutive month that new home sales have, have risen. Um, so that's nice to see. The The pace is pretty good. Annualized pace of about 544,000 homes, new homes being sold. Um, for the full year of 2015, new home sales rose almost 15% from the previous year. Dang. So those are nice numbers. It's hard to have a good grasp of what the normal volume is there because we were that segment was market absent for so many years that now that we're seeing those double digit gains in the year over year, that's just great news that 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 market is is recovering. Um, we're still way below the depending on where you want to go look at what normal was the million point five new houses a year being built and sold i want to say normal what i recall from from the normal prior to this market crash i want to say new home sales were in the seven to eight hundred thousand a year range was considered normal and so we're now at about two-thirds of that so you know, still some some work to do. Part of that is just lack of new homes being built. It's not that there's not demand for new, there's obviously demand. Um, there's demand for any kind of home, new home, existing home, you know, condo, whatever. There's demand. So what we see on the new home side is lack of supply, lack of those homes being built. So that's what's keeping the annualized numbers down right now. Um, but that lack of supply is leading to continued price appreciation. We see that in both of the the indices. There's the 
S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index. Um, this one showed sales of existing homes on the market were up. Well, that's numbers of sales. Uh, let's see here. The annual increase of price appreciation, according to S&P, was 5.3%. So that's the year-over-year mark. It was a November figure. There's a, there's a data lag here in these home price indices. But November to November, 5.3% increase. And then there was the FHFA house price index. And that one showed the year-over-year rate was up 5.9%. So pretty close on both of them, that 5 to 6% number. Yeah. It's a good number. It's healthy, slightly above what we would consider healthy. Yes, I was going to say, the, the, that safe health where nobody needs to worry about it is supposed to be 3 to 5%. So it's right there at the high side of that range for sure. Now, what's weird is I have a different report here from the Cal... This is from California Association of Realtors. Oh, so this must just be California figures. California figures... For this metric here, we have um, median home price for December was at just under 490000 So a statewide median home price was at right around 490000 for December. And it was up year over year at 8% for California. So California market's a little bit stronger than the rest of the, or than the overall country. I just found um, I just I I was tuning out over here for a minute, Dan, as I was desperately trying to find new home sales historical data. Uh-huh. It's kind of interesting. Um, so this is on census.gov, and check this out. Let's go. Um, Nineteen ninety-five, and, and I'm just going to go in one year increments. I'm going to read how many there are and just and keep working up. At a couple milestones, I'll stop and tell you the year. 667,000 units, 95. 757,000 next year, 804,000 next year, 886,000 next year. 1999, or I'm sorry, 2,877,000. 2001, 908. 2002, 973. For the next several years, 2003, 4, 5, and 6, we break the million mark. A million, um, 086, 2004, 1.2 million, 2005, 1.28 million. This is all new home sales? New, new home okay. sales. Um, and then, yeah, 2006, 1.05. So off the cliff. 2007, sell out the rest of that inventory, 776,000 units. 2008, 485,000. Wow. The last, so 2009, 375,000. 2010, 323,000. 2011, 306,000. That's a low watermark. If you go back down the chart heading towards the Industrial Revolution looking for a number, um, you can't find one. This chart itself here on this is census, um, census.gov data, um, the stat is first declared in 1963. So there's wow. not been a reading since the data began collection in 63 that ever had a year as bad as a 306,000 unit mark of 
2011. 2011. Wow. So then in 2012, 368. 2013, 429. 2014, 437. 2015, 501. So we're still arguably um, half of what it was when it was overinflated in that mid part of the 2000s, right? Mm -hmm. But um, 501,000 units, you have to go back to like 91 is the first year where it was less than that. But um, 90 was more, 89 was more, 88 was more. I mean, going down, you had to go to 82 to get 412,000 to find that. So just putting it into context, this is part of that thing is we were so shy on building new stuff for so long that we're sort of still below the charts in a pretty big way in terms of new home sales. And the the most prevalent byproduct of that is going to be appreciation of existing homes, right? Yeah. This is what's driving things up at five, six percent a year, as you just said, is a lack of availability of homes out yeah. there for people to buy. Yeah. Homes up five to six percent nationally, eight percent statewide, and then San Luis Obispo for 2015, according to California Association of Realtors, up 12.4% year over year. Yeah. And then, you know, so, the, and this is interesting fodder for that discussion of is real estate likely to dip anytime soon? I've long been saying that because of these, um, the pent up demand here, the answer is no. And this is, this is great proof of that. And of course, the other thing too that we're not really putting into um, the argument yet is. How much it costs to build today versus what it costs to build in the 80s, 90s, 2000s. I mean, it's more this year than it was last year. There's some new taxes on building materials. There's more strict uh, energy conservation and efficiency standards. The building codes are getting a little bit more extensive. Like you look at those like lights, right? The, the new requirements for lights per square foot and they got to be automatic on and off when no one's in the room. Things like this that are just, it's getting more expensive too. So not only does a lack of supply cause to an increased demand and therefore sales price, but also the increased cost of what it takes to build something new. Um, and we should only expect that to go up, right? Building materials are only going to go up. Ideally, I mean, every every month we seem to beg the report to show us that hourly earnings are going up. So we want the labor cost of building homes to increase. Um, we're, we're begging for these houses to cost more to build in other ways. So in, in that respect, that's also part of what continues to drive this appreciation. I was reading several things this week that are suggesting that we're still um, poised here to have home prices continue to incline at the current paces for years on end. So makes it a pretty good time to own real estate. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I think so too. Um, and all the while... Uh, I, at some point during the show, we're just going to have to lay out here that interest rates are back to like a three-month low. Three months? Well, that was a headline <laughs> I read this week. I wanted to see how you responded. to that. I think it's like a six to nine-month low. I was going to call it a year low. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing, um, I, as I go through the pricing engine where I'm looking for, so somebody calls in to say, oh, I you know, heard you on the radio this week and I have mortgage insurance, so what's the rate for a 30-year fixed? I'm seeing no points fluctuating between 3.75 and 3.875 for a 30-year fix for somebody with, you know, good equity and, and good credit and stuff. Those are that's phenomenally low. So And you were saying yesterday that there's there's one school of thought that 
this is just the beginning of of another potential refi boom where rates are have have lower to go. Yeah, the Fed's just came out and raised interest rates, right? I mean, in December. So now we're one meeting off of that. They didn't raise them again for the second time, obviously. Um, as you mentioned earlier, Dan, we're having a normal market correction. That's, um, that's a school of thought. Yeah, sure. <laughs> there's, and, uh, there's lots of differing opinions there. And I don't mean to say normal like in a way that I'm, you know, somehow chastising you is that um, if you just accept that it's normal, that this is this is just one of the normal corrections that just sort of a, a mild reset in the market, ironically, right after the Fed's raised rates, the 10-year bond this week closed out at 1.92. That's crazy low. That's so much lower than where it was at the like two and a quarter when they first raised rates. You would have thought that if the rate raising stuck the way it should have and the economy was doing the things that the intelligent people would be predicting it does, that 10-year bond yield should have went to two and a half. And instead, it's fallen by almost 60 basis points from what was expected. And here we are with lower interest rates. So... Um, what happens going forward? What, how how is how is this economy going to go? What's going to happen with oil? What's going to happen with consumer spending? The GDP? Are we going to make it through winter? This El Nino? What if this El Nino proves to be the new excuse and scapegoat for why first quarter GDP wasn't what anybody expected? Those kind of things are causing these lower bond yields and, and consequently um, the lower mortgage-backed security costs, which are leading to lower interest rates to consumers. Yeah, this, this is an interesting spot in the market right here. We were recently visited by one of our investors. They get a lot of great information from their capital markets people, a lot of... Um, just a lot of predictions and a lot of information here. So they're calling this a, an inflection point in the market here. This is a point where, where at this 1.9 level, where if, if the market's deciding, is it going to go back up to this, you know, two to two and a quarter range or is, or is the 10 year going to fall below 1.9? And if it does, the range then becomes, about a 1.65 to a 1.9 range on the 10-year treasury note. So that means that if, if we see this 10-year treasury fall a little bit more, that it's highly likely that we'll see rates then fluctuate between you know where they are today, which you said is about 3.75 or so, That's down about. to maybe as low as like three and a half, three and three eighths, three and a quarter. Kind of that. That's the next range down that we would see. Dan, when we got to the bottom of that barrel before, when three and a, like many of our friends and family had their three and a quarter, their three and three eighths, thirty year fixed, and it was kind of like, okay, this this may have started to run its course. One of the things we started marketing, and not that it was at all deceiving, because I think it's a brilliant strategy, is talking fifteen year loans. Sometimes, I mean, we even talked about, I don't remember if we ran these commercials or not, but I used to invite people to refinance into a higher payment. That should make you go, what? Did, did I hear you right? Do you just suggest I should refinance and raise my payment? Yeah, I did. Um, when you're like, you know, let's just say you bought a house a few years ago and you're chipping along and doing fine. Um, we got a couple raises at work, you know, whatever. The kids are in school now. So you're back to two income household and you're just doing well. 
saving money and stuff, there's obviously not great savings opportunity. There's some volatility in the market. You know, you can throw your money into the Dow or whatever. You, however you want to do it, here's just one idea. Let's talk about a 15-year loan. If you take a, a $400,000 30-year fixed at 3.75%, at the end of 30 years, you know how much the um, $400,000 loan was in total payments? It's about 800000 or something. It's about double. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know how much it is on a 15-year loan? Um, I don't off the top of my head. I'm going to guess about five fifty. A little bit less than five hundred. Oh wow. It's crazy. Wow. It's crazy. When you stack that math up and you go, whoa, what? It, um, not only will my house payment be done in 15 years instead of 30, but it, in that case... I will have saved myself $300,000 in interest. I'm listening. Because um, what are you going to do in that next 15 years? Are you going to save that extra money into some other investment where the 300 grand is there? I hope so, but odds are not. Um, and then and then it becomes, so the next, the, the next person says, well, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be in my house for 30 years. I'm probably gonna be in it for seven years. So I'm gonna strap myself to that big 15 year payment. And go, yeah. But on the 15 year payment, set. Let's say you sell seven years down the road, your equity is gonna be huge because you paid your loan in half in seven years. On the 30 year loan, you've only paid it down about a quarter. So, yeah. Going back to what I first said, the payment's gonna be more. We know that. But the reward for that is rapidly increasing equity. It's really just, and it's one of those strategies for somebody that wants to be conservative, can count on some good stable income and really wants to like accelerate that goal of owning your house with no mortgage. It's a fantastic vehicle to do that. And so um, we're, I mean, 15 year loans this week, the 15 year fix is about 3%. Yeah, undoubtedly that's, a great way to go, but I think that one really comes down to affordability. Sure. For most people. I mean, not everyone can afford the 15 year fixed payment. And and there's that, you know, looking out the entire term of the loan. What's your income going to be going forward? Do, sure. do you have unstable income? Do you have periods of time where, you know, maybe seasonality affects your business or something like that? And if if that's the situation, then I mean, when you get into a 15-year loan, yeah, you definitely reduce your interest costs, but you're obligating yourself to that higher payment. Yeah. You know, you can... It, there's, it takes there's careful a, consideration. Yeah, there's and never so, a problem paying extra on your loan. And I'll tell you, like in the con side, I've had a few... This has happened to me more than once where husband and wife have a 15-year loan um, because husband's business is doing fine and that's a payment they can afford. Husband unexpectedly dies in year five of the loan. So in, on top of everything else that's going on, wife is now like, and now I have this payment that's like, I mean, not quite double. That's not a realistic number. They're usually 25 or 30% more than what the 30-year fixed payment would be. But she's going, now what? <laughs> I have this payment that I can't seem to handle and now I'm missing that income, so I'm not in a good spot to refi. Um, it usually, in that case, forces the hand to have to sell, which could be, you know, 
the the most devastating news you get after you lose your spouse is now you've got to give up your home too. So there's definitely things to consider here. And I'm not at all suggesting that this is the right fit for everyone. It's an aggressive tactic for somebody that really has a, a pretty good degree of certainty in the plan, but also would be willing to to sell their home too if the going did get tough. If your income declined or you found yourself in some kind of a, a tight spot where you know, you're you're in a spot where you're just the the fix is to sell your house. Sometimes you have to do that if that if you put yourself on too aggressive of a path. So there's definitely a dialogue there. It needs to happen. It's not the right plan for everybody, but it's a it's an interesting plan for the people that really want to tackle paying off a house. Well, and that's that's the big push marketing wise from all the big companies. You see the cash call and the all the, the all uh, uh, all of those companies have been pushing the 15 year because it's such a it's a sexy rate to sell right something you know at or below three percent sure you know that's that's been the big push I've, I've seen it online I've, I've heard it on the radio see it on TV um, so it's definitely something it's an opportunity now if, if it's something you can afford you should strongly consider it greatly reduces your interest costs that's one of the worst things to see when you're buying a home uh, with a 30-year mortgage is the total cost you pay over the life of the loan that you're paying double what you bought the home for or or what your loan amount is for it's it's expensive to borrow money for long periods of time that's right well and you know like going back though full sometimes something changes enough right like you'd Maybe you buy your house and then we're, you were making 60 grand a year. Well, now you're making 100 and there isn't any other great place to put the money. And so it's like, yeah, I'd, I'm going to get on that path because if nothing else, say you sell that house 10 years later, you will have made so much headway on paying the thing down that now you have a substantial down payment to put on the next house. And then you can rethink, oh, hey, on this next one, am I buying a more expensive house and doing a 30-year fixed or do I want to buy, you know, a house and do another 15 year or whatever? Just it's just another option. And yeah, it is easy to talk about. Talking about interest rates that are at 3% in some cases below, that's pretty that's pretty cool to be able to talk about. It doesn't exist in all economies. We certainly it's a it's a very lucky thing that we're back in those grounds right now because I don't think anybody expected it. Um but you started this by saying um, there's some talk out there that we might be heading in that direction of low threes for 30-year fix, which would be awesome. I would love to have that happen, <laughs> especially if it can happen while unemployment is falling, hourly wages are increasing, and GDP is growing. That would be epic. Last yeah. time we had it because... Oh, layoffs were crazy, jobs were terrible, (laughs) wages were crap, the GDP was bad, the Dow was at half of its value. I mean, it was like, oh, well, at least we got these low rates. It would be great to have another little run at low rates where everything else was a bit better. Yeah, I have to admit, I I have such a hard time seeing how that can play out. I'm more in the, this is a market correction camp, but But I've been wrong before. Last year, would you have, if I just said, hey, Dan, I got a crazy story here. Uh, next year, the feds are going to raise rates. And within one month of that, the 10 year is going to be back to 192. I mean, I predicted that rates would go down a little bit. <laughs> They've definitely gone down beyond my expectations. Me too. So I, 
I just I I have trouble envisioning the scenario where they continue to go down further. But I again, I've been wrong before. I <laughs> so hope we'll you're see. wrong right now. I want to see it. Being wrong, I'll be ride good for another. <laughs> I w- could you imagine if we got another crack at doing it? All the people that bought houses in the last four years could get a thirty-year fix at three and a half percent. Yeah, there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of home buying activity that went down the last several years where people bought with FHA loans or bought with um, low down payment. Uh, conventional loans and they have loans with mortgage insurance that are at higher interest rates than you can get today and so not only could they benefit from the lower interest rate they could also i mean their home has gone up in san luis Obispo county it's gone up 12.4 percent in the last year they could potentially get out of or greatly reduce their mortgage insurance there's a lot of benefit to a lot of people who have just you know bought homes in the last year or two or three could be the game changer yeah totally not to jump all over the place, but um, just kind of revisiting this. Two things I saw this week. Um, J.P. Morgan is making some interesting statements. Um, first of which is they suggested here that fourth quarter GDP, they just re- reduced its GDP production for the economy from 1% to 0.1% for the fourth quarter. This was part of... In spite of the reading that we just got, that's 0.7 or whatever? Yeah. Okay. This was kind of in response to um, expectation for the next Fed rate hike, where they had it pegged for March, and now they've moved it to June, based citing global events, hmm. strong dollar, and deterioration in inflation measures. That consumer... Um, price index as well as the producer price index are not pointing to any real inflation. Um, so that's an interesting one. And in another aside, I read in relation to the GDP number that did come out is that um, these guys over at um, JP Morgan said in any given year, the odds of a recession are 10%. And this year, they place the odds of the recession at 20%. Hmm. So JP Morgan has a little bit of a, a gloomy or a potentially gloomy outlook for what could go forward here. And I'm going to suggest that those kind of things are what possibly helps lend us into those much lower rates. Again, I, I started this by saying I'd like to have those low rates one more time in conjunction with strength in the rest of the economy, or at least no erosion of the rest of the economy, these guys are suggesting that we're going to get those low rates based on some further erosion of the economy. And and I don't love that, but yeah, interesting stuff. So we won't see a Fed rate hike, according to them, until June. We will see. You had, we're running out of time, Rapido, but you had an article that I wanted to talk a little bit today as, as we're talking about jobs, Slow County's jobless rate. Yeah, I was is, considering saving it for next week when we have the, the national numbers too. But, oh. I mean, I guess I could share it. It came out in the, the local paper this week. Um, Slow County's jobless rate was at 4.5% in December. It's actually a tenth higher than November's rate, but down from 5.1% year over year. And let's see here. 
It's the San Luis Obispo County is the eighth best unemployment rate, eighth lowest um, out of all the 58 California counties. Um, let's see here. It compares to the 5.8% unemployment for the state of California and the 4.8% for the for the United States last month. So, um, you know, Slow County has been definitely been one of the, the bright spots around the area. Um, it says something like of the, the total labor force here in, in the counties considered to be about 140, 141,000, let's call it. And of that, there's 134,000 people that have jobs. I hear you out there. I hear you. Not everyone has the full-time job or the high-paying job that they that they need or that they deserve or that you know they're they've got the education or background that that you know suggests they should have. But it's improving. And we were talking about this this week, sitting down to lunch with with a, a friend of ours. Um, that jobs, you know, it's always, we, we've been here, you and I, we've been here since the, the late nineties, going to school, getting our first job. It's, we've seen our friends that want to stay here, have a really difficult time finding employment and having to leave the area. Very few people have been able to stick around. In fact, so much so that you have this, you have a very young community of people, the people who are in school and, and, and then there's an older community of people who can't afford to be here or who are retiring, but there's, there's missing that middle area, the people who are the workforce, but more and more we're seeing jobs arrive here and stay here in slow County. And it's, it's healthy for our area. And, um, it's, it's exciting for our area to be able to see the 30 and 40 and 50 year old folks be able to stay here and raise families and, and, and that. So that's that's what we're seeing. That's kind of the, the change of the times. Amazon's got a lot of jobs here. Who'd have guessed? We're seeing MindBody growing. There's there's a lot of companies that are really growing and thriving here in the county, and it's exciting. Yep. We're almost out of time. Um, I want to remind you guys that we talked these strategies earlier in the show about uh, refinancing to get rid of mortgage insurance or, you know, we just even to get into a, a lower interest rate if you want to. Um, we also are looking for people that want to refinance into a 15 year loan um, or any other loan term, I guess, for that sense of just trying to accomplish your financial objectives. We can do that. We can help you do that. If you need that help, you can call us this week. The number 543 loan rings all of our offices around the county, or you can start out by looking us up on the web at centralcoastlending.com. Thanks much for being with us today. Have a fantastic week. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Mortgage Matters.